I'm Glenn Robinson, and I've spent the last 30 years as a healthcare leader and overseeing large organizations. And before that, I was in the news business. And I'm Jacob Robinson, his son. I've spent the last five years building a business and learning lessons of leadership along the way. And this is our podcast, Chasing What Matters. On this podcast, we're going to interview leaders from all walks of life and hear their stories of successes and failures and what has made them become who they are today and how their faith and families played a role in their lives and leadership styles. During these interviews, we will be discussing things from business to politics, healthcare to nonprofit, and anything in between to find out how these leaders are chasing what matters in their work and personal life. So welcome to another episode of Chasing What Matters. Hey everyone, so glad that you're joining us today. I'm Glenn Robinson, one of your co-hosts. And I'm Jacob Robinson, your other co-host. And Dad, I am so excited about our two special guests we have today. Uh, me too. But before we dive into today's episode, uh, Jacob and I wanted to take just a moment to really say a huge thanks. When we began this podcast at the end of the summer, we were just uncertain as to what our listenership would actually look like. And to be very transparent, it has wildly exceeded our expectations. In 18 short weeks, we have seen literally thousands of downloads. Thank you for listening and also for sharing this podcast with so many other people. Yeah. And, and you know, Dad, what, what's interesting, one of the other things that has, you know, we've talked about this, but has just blown us away is the geographical spread of the podcast. I mean, obviously, Texas listeners far exceed other regions just because that's where we live. But we have seen over the past few weeks people downloading the, the podcast all across the U.S., but also we've picked up faithful listeners in Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia. You know, one of the things that uh, we want our listeners to know is that Jacob and I, we have a lot of fun looking at these crazy statistics and also this unbelievable geographic spread. Uh, the, in fact, the other day we were looking over the list, I asked Jacob, I said, who do you know in France? Because I don't think I know anyone. And you said, I have no idea. Oh. And also one of our top 10 communities is Lake Stevens, Washington, which is a beautiful community of 33,000 people. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. So, so here's the deal to our listeners. My dad and I, we've talked about this. We have, uh, beat ourselves up trying to figure out who these faithful listeners are. And so we would just love to know who you are. Uh, we'd love to know how you heard about our podcast. So if you're our faithful listener, that's in France or any other country outside the U S please email us. We'd love to, to hear from you. Also, if you live in these following towns, we would love to hear from you as well. Lake Stevens, Washington, Centennial, Colorado, Washington, Virginia, or Paradise, Nevada. Please shoot us a note or add a comment to our podcast link and just let us know who you are and how you found us. You can email us uh, by going to our website, cwmpodcast.com. In fact, while you're there, we'd love for you to give us a rating, uh, drop us a note, and just tell us who you are. Most of all, a huge thanks to the unbelievable and amazing guests that we've been able to interview thus far. And also a thanks again to you, our listeners. You're the reason the Chasing What Matters podcast is being shared. So please continue to support us by subscribing and sharing. And so now on with this week's podcast with a pair of awesome guests. We're honored to be able to sit down today and talk with Daniel and Kelly Crawford. Daniel joined the Teach for America Corps upon graduation from Texas A&M, then met his wife Kelly in 2012 working together in Haiti. Daniel spent five years leading the college ministry at Watermark Church before rolling on to Able Speaks full-time in October 2019. 
Kelly is an Oklahoma Sooner, born and bred and degreed in social work and human resource. She has humbly embraced her long-term transition to the Lone Star State and loves her community in Dallas. She has nonprofit leadership experience domestically and abroad, and Kelly couldn't be more honored to steward her son's life and legacy while raising his little siblings, Mayfield James and Deacon Abel. Thank you all so much for being here today. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you all for having us. Pump to reconnect, man. Mutual, mutual buddies from the Aggie days. Yes. And let, let a decade roll by and let's let's hitch back up. That's Get right. That's right. We can we can relive all, all the the glory days because now I'm just just old and 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 tired all the time. So <laughs> just, right. we can just relive the glory days. That's right. <laughs> well, Daniel and Kelly, it's so good to have you here, and uh, we're just uh, so appreciative of you taking time to uh, talk with our listeners about this amazing ministry that you have been called to, and so. Uh, if we could, let's just start from the beginning. Tell us uh, about each of you, about growing up, your families, and then, of course, a very important part, how you met. Absolutely. Sure. sure. Yeah, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and, uh, um, you know, really grew up around, from a faith standpoint, um, you know, a prevalent cultural Christianity. And so um, a lot of, you know, good people, moral people, everybody's members of churches, um, but not necessarily a kind of a vibrant, daily abiding faith in Christ. And so that was really modeled for me for the first time. I went to Texas A&M uh, in 2005 and joined a fraternity with uh, the the least noble of uh, intentions. Mm-hmm. And in the context of, of that environment, actually saw guys that just lived and looked markedly different than uh, anybody else that I was used to spending time around. And turns out those guys were followers of Christ and uh, just totally changed the trajectory of my life, just being around um, other young men that were pursuing the Lord, um, not just in name, uh, not just as something they vaguely identify with, but as something that really they had had built their life upon. And um, after graduation, I uh, did the Teach for America course uh, back in Houston for two years and then uh, had the opportunity to take a little bit of a gap year with an intent to go back to business school at Rice University, which never happened. But uh, because uh, story dun 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 in that gap year, uh, decided to go um, get some nonprofit experience overseas uh, in Haiti. And so I'll push pause there, and you can yeah. Um, Yeah, so I'm a Sooner, uh, born and bred, grew up in Oklahoma, and um, I have a twin sister and an older brother. And, um, you know, my parents were faithful to um, expose us to faith. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and um, so I'm grateful for their um, consistency in, like, taking us to a church. But... um, the church that we grew up in was very much, um, do more good things than bad things. And so, um, I didn't really have a grasp on the gospel really until I was in college, even though I, um, was in church often throughout my, um, adolescence. And so, uh, it was really just the first time that I, uh, had heard that, Hey, the gospel is the central focus of our faith and that, um, we are sinful people. That was not something that was talked about often. Um, and that because of that, we needed a savior. And, um, and so it really changed, uh, my life really changed through a ministry that I was plugged in, um, in when I was in college at OU. And, um, you know, I still 
in the first few years of like walking with the Lord had one foot in and one foot out, um, of, or one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And, um, but over time really just the Lord was faithful to continue to pursue me. And, um, you know, there was a turning point where I just felt like, man, um, I'm either all in or all out, you know, and, um, my senior year of college really, um, fully committed my life and surrendered a lot of things that I didn't want to. And, um, and yeah, so, uh, through that, after I graduated, I, um, became a landman for a couple years and, um, which was, I had a great experience, um, in that job and it gave me a lot of flexibility. And so over those two years, I, um, visited, um, Haiti for probably three or four different times, just for a few weeks at a time. And then, um, in 2012, 2012, yeah, 2012, um, I committed to an internship in Haiti, um, for about six months initially. And, um, that's where Daniel and I ended up meeting. Yeah. An intern class of seven that all congregated in the Fort Lauderdale airport. And it was, uh, just, you know, time froze. We locked eyes from across (laughs) and, uh, and then we soon thereafter learned about just a, a honestly wise policy of interns not dating each other while you're doing an internship over there, which made all the sense in the world. And so we, uh, proceeded to honor that for, I don't know, maybe 17 days and then, uh, pretty much just started hanging out behind the scenes on the hush hush very wise. Very yeah, wise. not wise at all. No. And, uh, and so uh, anyways, we could get into the nitty gritty if I just want to throw myself under the bus on how I got cold feet twice over the the, the preceding 18 months. But that um, if you do fast forward the clock, you know, by the end of 2013, we uh, were married. And so um, met, yeah, January of 2012, we're married December of 2013 and uh, able to start our lives in Dallas. That's awesome. That's now, who, who uh, you know, in the intern class, who made the first move? That's an excellent question. <laughs> that is. What would you say? You know, I think that the uh, the art of flirtation, Jacob, is one that <laughs> you don't you don't want to put yourself out there too strong. Right. You just want to give enough vibes to, to let you know uh, that there's something there's something happening. And so, I think we both we both played that game with some tact. Yeah. And. Uh, and so, you know, you got to, I'll take credit for it, I guess, if it comes down <laughs> to it. I, I feel more macho if I say I made the first move. Yeah. Right. Uh, I feel less macho when I say that I, that I then made the the retracting move yes. uh, a couple of different times. But yes, grace abounds. And uh, she gave me a, a third shot and I, wow. uh, you know, swimming. nothing but nothing but net on the third shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it better have been, right? There wasn't going to be a fourth shot. So no, 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 it better no. have been. Uh, well, so it's 2013, uh, we, y'all get married. Um, and so tell us about the early years of, of marriage, uh, tell us what you were doing, uh, and then that, how that transitioned, uh, into starting a family. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kelly got to transition into the role of sugar mama pretty, pretty quickly. And so, uh, that went alongside me still, uh, um, taking some classes at DTS. There was a, a hunger at that point. Uh, I'd alluded to earlier, um, you know, a desire for higher education kind of after undergrad. And so thought that might look like an MBA and decided that um, pursuing a seminary degree might be a better fit. 
And so ended up dropping out of that long story short eventually as well. But it at least put me on a trajectory where as I was starting to really learn just theology and Bible, um, we were plugged in uh, to a church here in Dallas called Watermark and um, dove into uh, a community group and um, just were exposed really for the first time uh, to just some really bold biblical preaching where we were going and and getting uh, really equipped, you know, not just to know here's the generic, you know, Christian stance on this, that, or the other, not for a pep talk, but for a, hey, here's here's what the scriptures really say. And this is how good, bad, and ugly, how, how it intersects with your life. And, you know, it might encounter you and challenge you in ways that, um, you're not used to and not even comfortable with. And yet, um, the Lord just started to use that body of Christ, um, to really have a a huge role that would continue on to present day, but certainly in the early years was huge. And so I got the opportunity to do, uh, what at the time was called the residency program. Then I'll call it the Watermark Institute. Um, but it was essentially an opportunity to get some of that similar seminary classroom type training alongside really boots on the ground, um, being deployed in an area of ministry within the church. And so I hopped on with their college ministry um, department and got to serve under Adam Tarno, uh, who to this day is you know, on my short list of just influential people in my life. And uh, eventually he transitioned and I um, was able to pick up where he left off and got to do college ministry for, um, for five years. And so anyways, back to you, you got to play sugar mama. Yeah. And um, I just, uh, yeah, had um, a sweet guy that hired me to, he's a home builder here in Dallas. And I just kind of helped with whatever they needed help with in the office um, while Daniel was um, at DTS and then transitioned into the residency program. And, um, you know, we say often we get to meet with uh, lots of college kids at this point and um, whether they're dating or engaged or whatnot. And, um, you know, it's a, for us, it really changed the trajectory of our marriage. The fact that Daniel did the residency because he, as he said, was for the first time really around, um, really solid men who were asking hard questions, encouraging him, challenging him, um, and just, uh, equipping him through God's word. And so I think if, um, we did not date well. And so, um, and made lots of mistakes. And so I just felt like, um, it really set our, um, marriage on a solid foundation that if that hadn't been the case, um, you know, I think our first few years of marriage would have been much more difficult and challenging and instead were, um, a really sweet season for us. So, yep. That's great. We'll, we'll talk to us, uh, about transitioning to starting a family, uh, and, and what that looks like in, uh, tell us about Abel. I'd love to. You want to lead off? Yeah. So um, when we got married, Daniel was like, let's start having kids. And I was like, well, let's like push the brakes for just a second, you know? <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, about a year into marriage, um, we were like, great, let's, um, you know, see what the Lord has for us from a family standpoint. And uh, found out that we were pregnant in the summer of 2015 for the first time. And Um, Daniel was like pumped to find out gender and we, um, are people of little patience. And so, uh, decided to do a blood test, um, at 10 weeks to find out gender. It also, um, tests for other abnormalities. And so 
um, at 12 weeks, we got a call from our OB and she said, Hey, you guys are having a little boy, but, um, the test came back positive for trisomy 18. And I said, okay, like, what is, you know, what does that mean? And, um, she didn't have a lot of information and just said, you know, you'll have to, um, make an appointment with a specialist and he can probably share more. And so there was about a week lag time from that phone call until we were able to get into a specialist to get more information. And, um, so that, you know, week of waiting was, um, incredibly challenging, just hopeful that, um, the test would be a false positive, but also I think I, um, just at like a gut level thought that it was probably accurate. Um, I thought there might be something, um, early on when we got pregnant, I just felt like, um, this might not go the way that we hoped for some reason, you know, I don't know if that was just the Lord preparing me or what, but, um, yeah, so we went into the specialist and he said, I'm 99% sure, um, your son has trisomy 18 and, um, you guys can terminate the pregnancy and try again for a better one. It was like the language that he used. And, um, that was really the first time that we realized like, oh, not everyone is going to value our son's life like we do, you know, and as a parent, that's like a hard reality to, um, accept. And so, um, instead of terminating our son's life, we decided to give him a name and, um, Abel Paul is what we named him. And, um, from that point forward, we really just tried to, um, learn as much as we could about the diagnosis, but also, um, celebrate and cherish each day that we had. We really had no idea how long we would get to have with him and if we would even make it to delivery. And so, um, yeah, you know, that season of waiting for his birth was, um, you know, incredibly challenging, but also a season where we were forced to like rely on the Lord one day and sometimes, you know, one hour at a time. And, um, it really, you know, we were so cared for and so supported by, um, our church and our friends and family. And, um, we really, you know, um, saw Abel's life and see it as a gift. And so, um, really tried to just soak in each day that we could, um, even while we had him in utero. And so, yeah, I remember on the eve of his birth. And so we knew we were going in to have him on, on January 22nd of 2016. And, um, we had had a blog that we were just, um, honestly, just for logistics, simplicity is where it came from to just be able to update more people more seamlessly. Um, but it really became a great avenue, you know, even just for us personally to be, you know, processing and reflecting just on the significance of Abel's life and our time with him as a family, even from the womb and different things the Lord was revealing to us, teaching us, reminding us. And, um, you know, there's a passage of probably a familiar story. If you've been around uh, church or the, uh, the scriptures and uh, early in the book of Daniel, where, um, you know, they're faced with this decision and without, you know, totally unpacking the passage, the point is, Hey, I'm facing death here. And, um, I believe that God can do something about it. I believe that he can save me. Um, but I also acknowledge that he might not. And, uh, I believe he can, I think he can, uh, but even if he doesn't, um, I'm going to worship him alone and he is my God and I trust him and I'm going to look to him, 
um, in any circumstance. And so, um, you know, that connects to uh, just, you know, Paul's writings in the New Testament as well, just about our ability to how, you know, our experience with the Lord and the intangible, you know, love and hope and peace and joy and the fruits of the Spirit that can be enjoyed in Him are not contingent upon circumstances or outcomes. And that's really hard for us. We like control. We like to um, hey, this is kind of the vision I had in my head. So let me kind of help you out here, God, a little bit. Um, but there's just such freedom in coming to that place of surrender, of knowing that I'm ultimately not, you know, I am uh, this little boy's father. Kelly is this little boy's mother. Um, God entrusted his life to us, to steward, to be his parents. We have a role to play. We want to play that well. We want to honor Abel. We want to honor the Lord. Um, but we also know that God has a role and that God loves this little boy and created this little boy and um, that we can trust him to do his role perfectly, even when it's confusing, even when it looks different than um, we would have written the story maybe. And so I think that's just worth saying, you know, at that juncture. And that's why we wanted to post it. It's like, man, I'll always remember the day before we found out what was going to happen because there was any number of he could be born and he could be totally fine and it could be way less severe than we thought. Or um, he might be born and have already passed or he just, you, you name it. And so it was just an opportunity to put that flag in the ground and just say, man, we have over the last several months been put in a position to be reminded of God's character and his nature and his faithfulness. And, um, and so, um, yeah, he was born on January 22nd. And, um, we got to love him and take care of him and parent him for 15 days outside of the womb. And, um, we say often, you know, that they were simultaneously the, uh, the hardest and the happiest, uh, the saddest and the sweetest, you know, 39 weeks and 15 days, um, in our lives. And, uh, we wouldn't trade them. We can't imagine a scenario where even knowing, you know, going back to the doctor's room where Kelly had us earlier and faced with it and out, essentially, is kind of how it's presented. And, and this diagnosis, this outlook does not look good. You're probably going to lose this child. Um, you know, so why don't you go ahead and just um, take care of that now so that you don't have to go through all of that. And so that's just one of the many messages we hope to convey to anybody who's listening is just we see our son's life as a gift, as a blessing, as a joy, as something that we wouldn't trade for anything. And the time that we did have with him was precious. And of course, we grieve every week, every day, that he's not still here to love and parent in the same way. Yeah. Um, and we often say, too, that choosing to continue with the pregnancy and trust the Lord with Abel's life um and the fact that he did pass away, you know, um, that it didn't make the journey harder, you know, like, or being able to choose termination, like we could have terminated and, but there's still loss with termination. Right. And so, um, you're going to experience suffering no matter which route you take, if you experience loss naturally and on the Lord's timing, or if you're the one that chooses to, um, set the date for the end of your child's life, you know, either one of those, things come decisions come with suffering but choosing to continue the pregnancy and like meet our son and um know what he looked like hear 
his cry, give him a bath, getting to feed him. Um, all of those things are like joyful parts of our story that um, we would have been giving up had we chosen um, to terminate the pregnancy early on. And so um, both routes are going to be hard, you know, and they both are going to bring about suffering, but um, one allows us to also experience immense and deep joy. And so um, we just like to communicate that to parents as they're navigating these choices that they're presented with often. So, you know, I want to go back for a second. I'm not really sure how I want to phrase this question. This is kind of just me talking out loud, you know, know, suffering uh, is a, is a, a part of Melissa and I's life. Uh, it's a part of your life. It's, it's part of everybody's life, right? I mean, it, it, it just, it is. And we have, uh, friends that, uh, that we follow that say, you know, uh, she's in a wheelchair. She says, everybody has a wheelchair. Mine's just a little bit more visible than yours. Um, well, but it's, it's gotta be, you know, for, for I'm formulating my thoughts here. It's, it's, it's interesting for us when Pierce got sick, he was normal on Friday and he was sick on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And that's when our world changed, right? For y'all, you walked into a doctor's office and the doctor goes, oh, hey, by the way, I've got terrible news for you. Uh, here's the terrible news. Uh, better luck next time. Uh, and I've got to go to the next patient room. And that's not a knock on the doctor. And, and I, I don't mean to knock doctors because, listen, uh, the, I I don't wish that job uh, upon anybody. That's a tough job. Um, but you were then just left in a room and then you've got to leave a doctor's office. And then you've got to go to lunch. Uh, then you got to eat dinner that night. You got to get up and do it all again the next day, knowing that you're living in suffering uh, and that suffering is still coming, right? Uh, according to the doctor. And I think there's people out there listening, whether they've just got a cancer diagnosis, uh, whether they just got uh, the diagnosis that, that y'all got, uh, that just said, oh, by the way, I went to a doctor's appointment and it changed my life. And now I'm living in suffering versus where we, we just went into a hospital and, and boom. It, it happened. Right. Um, I think that's just it's that's that's really tough. And so s- speak to that, if, if you would, of, of what y'all's process was like during those days, because if you're if you're like me and if we're honest, you probably had really bad days, really angry days, really frustrating mm-hmm. days and then really comforting days and, and a peace that passes all understanding. But let our walk our listeners through those wide array of emotions and how y'all process that on a daily basis. Cause you still had to go to work. You still had to do things and you still had to live life. So speak to that for a minute. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think, um, first in the doctor's office, a nurse came in and she just like is an older lady. And she just gently said, you don't have to decide today. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a sweet, um, moment of like, today's not the day, you know, to make that decision. And, um, as Daniel said earlier, we had been so equipped at Watermark to know what God's word said about life and about children and the nature and character of God. We already knew what our decision was, but I just thought, man, if I hadn't known that, what a sweet gift that was, you know, and what a sweet gift that lady would be to other moms and dads sitting in this room. And, um, before they ever leave, you know, um, just encouraging them of like, that doesn't have to be the choice that you make. And so, um, so just wanted to share a little bit of that, um, part of our experience too in the office. And, um, but from, you know, the emotions are a roller coaster as, you know, you kind of, um, alluded to and lots of ups and downs and, um, and just 
hard to know which way's up, you know? And so I think for us, um, what we really had to cling to was just, um, that like the Lord gives us what we need for the day that he set in front of us. And as humans, it's like, well, I kind of want the next two weeks, not just the next 24 hours. Right. But like the scriptures talk about it often, just where it's like, Hey, he gives us the manna that we need today. Um, he allows us to depend on him today. Um, and that he's gone before us and he knows what tomorrow holds. And so we can trust him with that. And, um, so that was just something that we had to come back to often. Um, and then I would say there were definitely like a lot of questions of like, you know, why is this happening? How can we um, love Abel in the womb? How can we steward his life to honor him and to honor the Lord? Um, but I would also say, I think God gave us like such peace in that season of waiting. And the waiting is like, the hardest part, right? Because there's so many unknowns, so many variables, so many questions. Like after Abel was born, it was like, oh, we've got lots of things to do, you know? Um, but during the pregnancy, it was just like day after day after day of um, not knowing what would come. But I think it just forced us to depend on the Lord in a way that I think he created us as humans to do. But because we live in this culture and society we have this false sense of uh, control and um, false sense of ability to, um, yeah, control our environment and um, our days and, and whatnot. And so um, in a lot of ways, it was like we viewed it as such a gift from God to just really rest in um, who he is and um, what his word says. And so um, and so there were days of frustration and um, lots and lots of sadness and um you know, trying to grieve expectations, I think, was like a big part of that season of like, man, our expectation was that we were going to have a little boy and that, you know, what we were going to get to do with him at two years old and five years old and 10 years old are things that like we are probably never going to get to experience. And so I think that's what a lot of that season was, is just continually um, grieving and turning those things over to the Lord. Yeah, I think that's something we get to talk about often is that sense of, you know, grief in our context is um, child loss, but it doesn't begin at the moment of, of death. It begins at that moment of, hey, this is going to look different than you thought. And you're going to have to start to now mentally come to grips with all those expectations that you may not have even known that you had. And these assumptions and these things that are often take for, taken for granted and whether they're cultural or whatever, it's just, you never think it's going to be a part of your story. You know, it's possible, you know, it can exist. You can read a headline about it or a whatever, and it makes you sad for a second, but you never think it's going to be your story until it is. And, um, and yeah, it kind of is when, when in our context, it's something that um, is kind of pronounced over you, but isn't, there isn't resolution yet. You know, you don't know how it's going to play out. It's almost like, you know, being blindfolded and being told you're going to get punched in the face, but you have no idea wh who's, you know, what direction, when. It's almost that that feeling of anticipation is almost as consuming as what's coming. And so as we, um, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but as we talk to other families now, that's something we consistently hear is just like, man, if I at least knew exactly 
you know, even if it's not good, if I knew what was coming, when it was coming, I would have an easier time, I think, starting to prepare and starting to um, wrap my mind around things. And it, and it really is in the, in the least desirable of ways, uh, you know, a method that none of us would self-select. That circumstance is just the most fertile soil for God to do all sorts of things in our hearts um, that otherwise we're just too, you know, controlling and um, whatever we're, we're, uh, you know, we have such a say over so many aspects of our lives and we can chart the course in so many different ways where we're in a position in, especially in the context of parenting, like we could do nothing, absolutely nothing for our son. Um, you know, Kelly could take care of her body and, and wake up every day and do everything she could, you know, in terms of him being in utero, but like there was no surgery, there was no, there was no tangible decisions before or after birth that were going to alter his, his diagnosis. And so just what a humbling place to be put where it's like, I am completely any illusions of control and power that we carry in our lives, in our parenting, in our whatever else, those things are stripped. And, you know, thankfully, um, that put us into a place where we opened ourselves up for, for God to do some surgery on us and on our own hearts and the lessons that he taught us through our son's life. Um, you know, we're just scratching the surface of it. Well, you know, a couple comments and takeaways, you know, Kelly, what you were saying about, um, focusing on just, just today. You know, and, and I think uh, that that mantra can become a cliche from time to time. Like, I'm just going to focus on today. But in the back of our minds, we're going, right, right. No, I'm focusing on today, but I'm, it would it would be beneficial if I focused a month down the road also. You know, and we trick ourselves into uh, we're, we're just trying to be good parents and we're just trying to plan or I'm trying to be a, a good employee and all, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Melissa and I's mantra in the hospital, uh, we, we even had to boil it down more. I mean, we had to go, hey, hour by hour. I, I don't know what 12 o'clock is going to bring. So I'm just going to focus on 11 o'clock. And, and, um, you know, God hits me with that from time to time of, Hey, what happened to that, that mindset? Uh, oh, yeah. you know, let, let me lead you hour by hour. And, you know, also then Daniel talking about, you know, where there's nothing you can do. Uh, and I, I think, you know, our, there's, there's listeners out there that you're in this situation where there's nothing you can do. And you're, you're just in this uh, trial, you're in the season, you're in the suffering. And, you know, I, I remember when in the hospital, I, I remember God uh, talking to me and just saying, Hey, listen, you've always said that he's mine. Do you believe me that he's mine? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think um, when you go through pain and when you go through suffering and when you go through trials, uh, what you have said, you believe uh, obviously gets tested mm-hmm. and, and put uh, to the fire. And so um I don't know. Those are just some uh, comments. I just, I just wanted to echo uh, yeah. with you there. Yeah. I think it's a gift too. just even those, like, I mean, we have those moments too today, you know, we're almost five years out from having Abel and um, we sometimes long for that season of pregnancy with him and, and his life because we were so there, we were so narrowly focused on, what's important and, um, just so focused on the hour by hour, right. Dependence on him. And so, um, but you know, even though that's a part of our experience, it's so easy to get pulled into what's coming and looking ahead and all of those things that, um, it's, you know, a fight to 
stay in this day that the Lord has like written for us, you know? And so I think um, that like resonates a ton. Um, yeah. So to keep chasing what matters, yeah. if you will. That's right. That's a good plug. Thank you. <laughs> Got it. Uh, Daniel Kelly, thank you all for just being so transparent about the highs and the lows and just the reality. I, I, I can't imagine the hurt that you were going through and the struggles. I, uh, Rhonda and I went through a time of, uh, having a miscarriage and, uh, and, and I know the, uh, the hurt and the sorrow and the sadness that occurs uh, for her. I know that it occurs for the dad and that opened my eyes uh, to what other couples were going through, but what you were going through was just totally different. And, um, and thank you for sharing that. Tell us more about when did God begin to open your eyes that there was something bigger here that uh, you didn't see coming uh, in regards to helping other families go through these challenges Mm -hmm. similar to what you were facing? Yeah. Thankfully, it wasn't necessarily a, uh, you know, hey, I just got this, you know, there's this wrestling within me. I feel like we need to do something. I think that that totally could have happened for us because we were pretty open during our journey with Abel and because we were just so incredibly well, well cared for, well loved, well prayed for. Um, there was a pretty extended network of people that knew about our story, knew about Abel's story, his diagnosis to where all of a sudden we now had, you know, several hundred people that if they had a friend of a friend of a friend who had a similar situation, um, Abel was going to pop into their mind and the Crawfords were going to come to their mind. And, um, and so it started really that way of, hey, um, would you consider talking with or be willing to, to share with, hey, I passed along your blog, but, you know, you think you could meet up with. And so all of a sudden, without really seeking it out, um, those opportunities started coming to us and we wanted to be faithful with those opportunities. And, um, you know, one after the other was like, man, this really does feel um like a really tangible way of God using and, you know, an overflow of just the impact because we had already seen so many impact and ripples from Abel's life and the purpose and the meaning within it. And so I think as that continued to happen, that's when kind of our eyebrows started to raise where not even necessarily, um, Hey, should we do this? could this be a thing? It was kind of more of, Hey, if we're going to keep doing this, I think it needs to become a little more formal and it yeah. needs to become a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we started meeting, I think we met with the first family, um, like four months after Abel passed away. And, um, and as Daniel said, you know, every month or so, or every, you know, two months we get connected with another family and, um, and the diagnoses were different, but all, in the life limiting realm. And so, um, what we quickly realized was our experience was very different than the families that we were meeting with. Um, we did feel like so supported, cared for, encouraged, challenged, um, and just pushed towards our creator. And so the families, some of the families we were meeting with, um, just didn't have that support system. And so, as Daniel said, we just saw some real tangible needs that we felt like we could fill. Um, and we felt like, um, establishing a formal nonprofit, uh, would allow us to do that in a more significant 
and streamlined way. Yeah. On a spiritual level, um, an emotional level, because it, because I mean, it's pastoral care to its core, you know, these types of opportunities. And so, um, amazing opportunity in ways that God had equipped and prepared us from a skill set work experience standpoint to kind of have some handle holds in addition to just, um, you know, um, extending our own personal experience and relating to families in that way, you know, there was being able to know what God's word said um, about suffering in general, about life, about so many of the topics that, as I even described at the beginning, kind of my upbringing where, you know, hey, certainly a professing Christian understood the like base narrative about the life of Jesus, that he died, that he rose, that, um, you know, I get good with God through him. Um, but that's kind of where the buck stopped. And so finding people that maybe they were in that place in their faith where it's like, hey, we know we believe in God. We don't believe we should have an abortion. But beyond that, you know, we're kind of we don't really have much. We don't have people really in our lives. We're fairly isolated, as Kelly said. Um, and so we don't really know how to process and how to reconcile this news in this circumstance with what we thought we knew about God and about faith. And so that was really the opportunity that we saw from the get-go. Is, man, this is an opportunity to offer gospel hope to people that are hurting um, in that valley of the shadow of death where Christ has been and where he longs to meet us. And if we can be his hands and feet in that way, then, um, you know, glory be to him for that. And so pairing the spiritual emotional part with more of the medical informational piece um, where Kelly really shines is um, there is just an incredibly underwhelming amount of resources available to families that do choose to continue Um in terms of even just knowing the basics and not, um, you know, I think you spoke to it well, Jacob, that being a medical doctor is a hard job and makes sense that it takes you 20 years to actually get in there. But, um, but there's a, there's a sense of, I think there's a temptation at times, you know, on hard days to kind of see doctors as, you know, calloused or, um, you know, the villain figure, but we have seen doctors in white coats be the absolute heroes. And we, something we're passionate about is seeing more and more doctors get to play and nurses um, get to play that role of, man, you're forever going to be a part of these families' stories and journeys and the time that they have with their children. You get to be a part of that forever. And um, what an amazing opportunity. Um, And yet, most of the time, um, your average family is not necessarily going to be having an OB-GYN or a specialist um, that is seeing things from their worldview and, um, you know, has other clients where, hey, I can maybe actually do something here. Hey, this kid maybe actually has a chance. Yours really doesn't. And so they don't say it like that, but I understand it. There is this sense of, hey, my time, attention, resources should probably be devoted more over here than right here. This is kind of a hopeless cause. I don't even know why you're still carrying this kid. And so again, very blunt language there, but it, um, in the worst case scenario, you know, you're finding people that are not only ill-equipped emotionally, personally, spiritually, but they're also ill-equipped medically and informationally. And so the best we could to start to fill in some of those gaps, but then also be able to connect them to providers that would value their child's life and that would walk compassionately and graciously with them 
through that season, making every day, every week, every sonogram count. Yeah. And so it was a really natural process for us to um, start a nonprofit. And so, um, you know, we informally met with families through um, the back end of 2016 and through 2017 and then um, established Able Speaks um, in January of 2018 on Abel's what would have been his second birthday. Wow. Walk us through those early days of of starting a ministry and a nonprofit, right? I mean, it, it's got its challenges. It's got its challenges from uh, you got to get all the, the back office stuff set up to all the way. How do you get your message out? What are we actually doing on a day-to-day basis? Walk us through some of those early leadership lessons uh, that y'all experienced and how you, you got going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so the fir- one of the first things that we did was um, establish a solid board. And so um, that was something that we were encouraged to do by just other people that we had sought wisdom from. And, um, and had been a part of other nonprofits that, that yes, and we had been a part of yes. it did not go well. Yes. And so we had also had personal experience um, where that wasn't a ca- the case. And it, yeah, it was made things challenging. And so, um, that was one of the first things we did. And I think, um, one of the best decisions that we made just because, um, they were able to give us, um, wisdom and wise counsel, but also we didn't feel like we were in the boat alone, you know? Um, and on the really hard days or the days where we're like, what the heck's happening? Nothing's going our way. You know, um, it, really was, um, they really were our support system and, and still are. And so, um, that's one of the best decisions that we, we ever made, but, um, yeah, you know, early on, it's kind of like every day's different. And, um, one day it's like family care. And then the next day it's like, did we get everything in for our 501c3, uh, you know, so that we are like an official nonprofit and what are these systems we're putting in place and what, how are we going to operate and Squarespace or WordPress? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, when's our website going to be up, you know? Um, so it was, um, I think it's one of those things where we just had to take it a, again, a day at a time and, um, just trust that man, like the Lord knew what we were going to get done that day. And, um, as long yeah. as, you know, our heads hit the pillow and we felt like, we gave everything we got, uh, on that day, then, uh, we can, we can rest well, but, um, yeah, it's definitely ups and downs, but, um, I think two things we had going for us as well is, as I alluded to earlier, there was kind of this existing tribe of people that were in our corner, um, just personally and, um, had tangibly, you know, been along for the journey, uh, through Abel's life and, um, and so there was kind of this flesh and bone, hey, I understand um, what could be and what you're going for. And that you don't have to like explain it to me in theory. It's like, oh, okay, you want to like kind of pay forward where other families can have the experience you had and, and experience joy and hope even in the midst of sorrow and suffering and loss. And so that's a vision that, you know, we have seen snapshots of before. And so it's, it's easier to get on board with it in general. And then um, from there. Yeah. And I mean, even that, like solidifying our um, solidifying our vision and mission was uh, an incredibly challenging step just because um, it's such a complex issue. Um, But to the general public, we had to make it simple, concise and clear. And so um, I would say that was one of the biggest hurdles we had um, 
out of the gates was just like, how do we, you know, um, narrow things down so that people can understand what we're doing, but not feel like overwhelmed by the information and content. Um, and then we also had our second child a year after, um, Abel was born and right around the time we were really ramping up with, um, meeting with more families and things like that. So that was like another little, you know, uh, mm-hmm. challenge thrown into the mix. Yeah, why, but, why not just throw a, a kid in there? Right, yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, that's wise. Um, but yeah, you know, for the, for the most part, um, you know, we, like we said, we've been a part of other nonprofits and know how hard it is. Um, and it's just been such a sweet thing to see the Lord open so many doors for us that we weren't even knocking on, you know, um, and he's just been like, so I often ask myself, like, why, why us? Like, why are you making this process feel, um, I mean, it is like daunting and overwhelming on some days, but, um, we really do marvel like, man, the Lord has just opened door after door after door and brought so many people to our ministry that, um, have taken it way past what we could have ever hoped for or imagined. So, yep. Did I dream this or, or is this correct that all of your children share the same birthday? Yeah. You kind of glossed over that one. (laughs) You can share. Yeah. The, so when she had said, yeah, we had a daughter a year after Abel, she meant a year after Abel. And so he was born on January 22nd of 2016. Um, Mayfield, our daughter decided to come three weeks early, you know, with the exciting placental abruption to, uh, we were seeing a different OB like 30 minutes away and, but lived near the hospital where we had Abel. And so all of a sudden we're rushing to that same hospital, ending up in the same OR. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that happened and we were like, Oh, you know, Holy cow. And then the following January 22nd, we started Abel speaks on his, you know, would be second birthday. And then to cap it off on January 22nd of 2019, um, we had our third child on that same day. Um, <laughs> and so wow. January 22nd, it's, it's, been, a a, it's been an exciting it's day. day in our house. Yeah, it's, it's an annual tradition day. to give birth. On <laughs> yeah, that we're, we're pressing day. pause on that for a while. But yeah, we think, um, we think that might. I mean, yeah. do, 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 do the kids have like different time slots for their birthday parties? <laughs> right, right, like, like, is it eight to noon? Yeah. And then, yeah. Is it, <laughs> massive cookie I don't know. I mean, just what a special gift that is yeah. that uh, you get yeah. to celebrate that day with just a wide variety of emotions. And then, uh, Daniel, it's good for you because you'll never forget your kid's birthday. Smart man. The last piece with that would be that we found out that, um, like that last weekend in January typically is, um, like sanctity of life. Um, weekend and where the March for life happens. And, and I was like, well, what are the odds of that? And then figured out it it was because, um, Roe versus Wade, which, you know, declared abortion, a constitutional right was, was passed on January 22nd. And so, um, so again, just as we, you know, don't set, you know, we're not looking to step in and, you know, exchange blows in the, the political, political sphere. Um, we do just hope to share our story in a way that, um, you know, might offer uh, a new perspective to certain people around certain topics. Um, but yes, yeah, so as you said, Glenn, hard to hard to not see those things as a little bit of a, a hug and a wink from the from the Lord and uh, something we we hope and pray will feel sweet to them as well to get to share all that with Abel. Wow. 
Well, I, um, I really appreciate your approach to all of that. And also, I think it's so wise that you've really surrounded yourself with obviously a great board. And then also, I would encourage our listeners to check out a video on your website, and those will be down in the show notes. But there is a very moving video that captures what Able Speaks is all about. But for our listeners today, could you tell us more about what your ministry does and how you support those families and also how people can get involved with Able Speak? Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And that's, we, we wanted to produce that video as we could, we could tell you about the different services, but we'd, we'd love to just be able to show you. And so to be able to hear firsthand um, from a testimonial standpoint from a few families, as well as see kind of in action, what some of the services look like and, and how they impact a family's journey. Um, would love, yeah, to invite you guys to visit uh, ablespeaks.org, which is A-B-E-L speaks.org and uh, the videos up there. Um, but would you want to run through to some of the tangible services as well? Yeah. So, um, you know, we support families who have chosen to carry a child with a life-limiting diagnosis. And our hope is just that every family will be able to cherish their child's life and have hope in the midst of sorrow. And so, um, tangibly, you know, we partner every family with a mentor couple. So that's just another family that has gone through something similar that can walk with them through the journey and um, pray for them, just be a listening ear, but then also answer, you know, the hard questions and um, encourage them with truth and um, just help them navigate that season. Um, We do maternity photos and birth photography for every family just so that they can really capture, um, those memories through pictures. And, um, you know, those are things that, uh, we don't know how many days we're going to get to take photos with our kiddos. Um, when you receive a life limiting diagnosis and just something that we, um, someone offered for us and, um, was such uh, a gift and something that we like cherish. And, um, all of the services that we provide are, are things that people actually did for us during that season. And so, um, we provide a birth doula for every family also. And so that's just for, um, emotional support and support through labor. Um, but, also just someone there that knows the family's wishes and desires and that can kind of help um, remind them of those things and also just um, make sure that those things are, are happening um, according to their to their wishes. And so um, that's a piece of the services. And then as Daniel spoke about earlier, we um, connect families with medical providers that uh, value their child's life and um, will support them throughout the pregnancy and really want to know what the parents' wishes are and desires are for their children's lives and um, help them meet those ends to the best of their ability. Um, so uh, that's kind of, in a nutshell, the services that we provide. We also do commemorative items. Um, we do a keepsake box and then just a really uh, beautiful canvas um, with the baby's name on it and um, help families plan celebration of life if and when that's a need. Kelly, for a family that's out there and wants to do something to support another family that's going through this journey, um, Mm -hmm. how do they get in touch with you and, uh, and what's the best way for them to minister to that other family? Yeah. So, um, we have a website, as Daniel said, um, ablespeaks.org. And so, uh, families that want to connect with us that need support, um, can email us or call us, um, which is, a, a contact page on our, on our yeah. website. 
the first two buttons if you go to the home page is one is if you're a family click here looking for support and then the second button is just hey if, if you'd like to join this mission and be involved mm-hmm. um click this button yeah and so and um you know we love partnering with medical providers so if there's ever providers that want to connect with us that's a great way to um get that ball rolling and then we also um send out pretty consistent um emails to our subscribers so people can subscribe to our email list. And um, it's an opportunity. We share updates about the ministry, but also about specific families and just ways that they can be praying for a family um, or praying for the ministry. Um, So that's um, another way that we like to communicate with the public um, on what we're doing, what the Lord's doing, and just um, how the families that we're currently serving um, are walking this road. Our guests today on our podcast, Daniel and Kelly Crawford, the co-founders of Able Speaks. Well, Kelly and Daniel, one of the things that we love to do before we let you go is uh, share with you a few rapid fire questions so our listeners can get to know you just a little bit better. Jacob? Okay. Y'all can each answer these individually uh, and you can just alternate and go however you, you want to. So first question, best and worst advice you have ever been given? <laughs> And Kelly, if it was Daniel that gave it to you, the worst <laughs> advice. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh gosh, best advice. Um, I would say uh, one of the for marriage, one of the best things that someone has told us is just that um, you know humility and communication are like two key components to um, having uh, oneness and intimacy, and I think that has been. Um, true in our marriage and has like served us really well. Yeah. I think the first thing that came to my mind is just around the idea of vocation and uh, that essentially that word is, is calling and the idea of what is your vocation that as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, like we are all called to ministry and the Lord places us in different spheres of influence and gives us different, you know, J-O-Bs and different people that we're able to surround ourselves. But um, wherever he has us, uh, make no mistake, we're there to to know him and make him known. Yeah, great advice. Hey, how about the most influential people in your lives? Yeah, I I mean, um, Adam Tarno uh, was my boss and taught me, you know, a ton uh, at Watermark. Uh, and then other guys uh, that were on the staff at that time as well, Todd Wagner, Jonathan Pakluda. Um, there's a lot of names I could drop in there. Yeah. Yeah, I would um, agree, especially just through our our season with Abel. I think um, so many of the men and women that were on staff with Daniel at Watermark um, really blessed and encouraged us and um, had a huge impact on our life. I I would say that Todd, who's the pastor at Watermark, um, really changed the trajectory of our, our life in terms of you know, um, using his leadership to equip us on what God's word says about children and about every life and, um, prepared us to know what our decision was when we were pregnant with Abel, where if that had been four or five years ago, um, we, or four or five years prior to, to his diagnosis, we might've, um, considered other options, you know? And so I think he, um, really changed, um, the trajectory of our life in a lot of ways. And then, um, I would say I struggle a lot with 
pride. Um, and so uh, Daniel is like one of the most humble people um, I've ever met. And so I think um, that has had like a profound impact on um, me in the last almost seven years, almost seven years. <laughs> of marriage. Um, and so uh, that would be probably my answer. That's good. For our listeners who've been following our podcast along, I just have a disclaimer. Jacob lives in Katy. I was going to uh, say the same thing that you're about to say. We live in Waco, and uh, we did not go looking for this, but I think it really speaks to just what an incredible church watermark is. You are our at least our third guest that yeah. uh, has a common thread of where either uh, church staff or their life group or, or et cetera, it played a key role in some pivotal moments of, mm-hmm. of these guests' lives. And then you mentioned um, uh, Jonathan Pacluda, uh, who is now our pastor here. Yeah, and so, yeah, you're welcome. And, and, um, and, and we hope to uh, grab JP and have him on this podcast as well. So, just a disclaimer we're not yeah, out this, there this is, purposefully uh, not produced uh, and uh, edited by Watermark. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And Watermark is not yet a sponsor either. Yeah, but if they want to be, Todd, uh, you can reach yeah, out that's if right. you want to. That's right. But but it sure sounds like to me there are a lot of great churches in Dallas. But uh, if you're looking for one, yeah. uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, that may be one you really may want to check out. Jacob? Well, uh, before the next question, I do know uh, Daniel might be the most humble person, but we have it on, on good source that he was one of the best intramural quarterbacks uh, at, in Texas A&M history. So, uh, I don't know. Did, I did have I question, I question the source of that. That's true. That's true. That's true. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't question Daniel. I just question the source of that and he knows who he is. <laughs> well, uh, next, next question. Uh, what big events have taken place in your life over the past year? I mean, has, has anything happened on January 22nd, uh, that, that we need to talk about or, uh, did we skip that this year? Man, we got to break 2020 yeah. on January 22nd. Mm. No, I mean, it, it'd be a whole other uh, conversation, but, you know, we've um, been uh, navigating some developmental delays with our daughter as well, who has a, a sensory processing disorder. And so that has, you know, yielded a whole other opportunity for Kelly to flex those muscles of just being an incredible mother, as well as just advocate, researcher. Um, and so just putting together a, a care plan for her and a care team for her has been, uh, a big, a big deal for the last year. Yeah. What was the last time that you guys took a risk and how did it work out for you? Yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, um, it really didn't feel like a risk to us, um, like by the Lord's grace and kindness. I think that we, um, once we feel peace and uh, confidence of like what the Lord's calling us to next, it doesn't stir up a lot of fear for us. But um, Daniel decided to leave his job at Watermark um, in October of 2019. Yeah, coming up um, on a year ago. Yeah, almost a year ago um, to come on staff full time with Able Speaks. And, um, you know, we were kind of at it like a breaking point, like as a family and then also with the ministry of like, Hey, either he needs to come on full time with me, or we're going to have to hire um, someone else to do that just because we were spread really, really thin. And so um, we made that decision. um, Yeah. Almost a year ago. And um, it's been, you know, such a uh, sweet year and a year of lots of learning to work together and parent together and be husband and wife together and 
you know, uh, not tons of um, breaks um, and just being together all the time. So, um, but it's also been so fun to see how God has wired each one of us so differently, um, but that they uh, match our gifts really match up really well with one another. And my weaknesses are things that he's very good at and vice versa. And so um, it's been fun to just see those things come um, to the surface even more. For sure. Wow, that's great. Best or most meaningful place you have ever visited? The first thing that came to my mind was uh, uh, Corinth or Corinth. I don't know what's correct, but uh, <laughs> we were able to go to uh, Greece and just one of the kind of cornerstone passages we planted our flag in uh, is in one of Paul's letter to the Corinthians and on kind of one of these preserved little, you know, pieces of Corinth as a tourist destination that scripture was written. And so that was a, a special moment, I would say, you know, for us, um, among other kind of stops on that. Yeah. And it was like probably four or five months after Abel. Yeah. It had, was not long. Yeah. Like four months after Abel had passed away. Cause we found out on that trip that we were uh, pregnant with our daughter Mayfield. And so, um, yeah, it was just a really sweet, um, just reminder from the Lord, you know, that he, um, is in the details and, um, and just, yeah, it was, a, it was, and is, um, it's second Corinthians four, 16 through 18. And, um, it's just, um, a lifelong family passage for us at this point. So, yeah, yeah I, um, uh, have not been yet, but that's on our bucket list. Uh, but there is a third pronunciation by the way. Oh boy. And, and, uh, and just before everybody gets upset, I was born and raised in the South, so I'm not making fun of Mississippi, but my wife is from Mississippi and, uh, there it is Corinth. And, <laughs> and so there's actually a legitimate third. Yeah, I'll throw that into the rotation. That's right. uh, there you go. Hey, how about something, uh, that you learn from your parents? I think for me, I, uh, I mean, my parents were so loving, so supportive, and uh, always have been uh, towards me. And different initiatives, different ideas, different seasons, they've always, I mean, they would have had a thousand reasons to kind of push back or really question. And just, um, they've been really affirming and encouraging with different directions, different seasons, uh, as I've gotten older, and just have been very consistent, very steadfast, very supporting. Um, so I've really appreciated that quality from them for sure and love them. Yeah, I would say um, both of my parents are incredibly hard workers and just have a no quit attitude um, and a lot of uh, tenacity. And so um, I think they instilled that in me and my siblings at a, at a really young age and just like, hey, using our minds um, that which is just like such a gift from the Lord and using our creativity to solve problems and, um, and keep pressing forward. So um, that's something that they instilled in us early on and um, for better or worse uh, comes out uh, daily <laughs> in our lives. So some people call it stubborn, you know, but um, <laughs> she comes across as sweet. Just don't, yeah. just don't poke yeah. the bed. Uh, part two of this interview will be a uh, marriage counseling. That's uh, right. Uh, yeah. So thank you back in for that. Uh, best uh, and worst job you have ever had. 
think if I've had a worse job. I was kind of spoiled, man. I didn't have to do like the job circuit growing up. Kelly, you've had plenty of bad jobs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was a waitress for a while and I, I mean, literally could not be the worst waitress of all time. So it wasn't even necessarily the job. It was just me. I'm terrible at that job. I mean, you know, like the, Hey, what can I do for you? I'm just like, what would you like to eat? Let's get this ball rolling, you know? Um, so just not, not my sweet spot. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I, one of my favorite jobs was um, when we lived in Haiti. And um, I think because the Lord stretched me so much in that season. Um, and it's just like so sweet to see how the things that the Lord was like working on in me during that season have translated into our current job now with Able Speaks. And so um, I think that was like such a fun and formative season of my life that um, and just like the friendships and uh, clearly the marriage that I now have from that season, but also some of our best friends are people that we lived with at that time. And um, so that was like one of, I felt like that was a really sweet spot for me. And, um, and it's true now with Able Speaks, I think um, it's like something that the Lord has really, um, it feels almost tailored to me, but maybe yeah. that's because I started. So <laughs> God, God, God bailed me out on the job front because I got a psychology degree with no desire to be a psychologist and nobody told me how stupid that was. <laughs> and so anyways, I liked being a teacher. I uh, really liked working with college students and now I love obviously doing what we get to do through Able Speaks. Yeah, Kelly, this will not surprise you. Um, uh, during my career, one of the things that I always enjoyed doing and in interviewing new potential team members was to take them out to eat and to observe how they interfaced with uh, their wait staff. Yeah. And uh, because I, I learned very early on that if you're not kind to the wait staff, you're not a kind person. <laughs> and, um, and it was always a hurdle for uh, yeah. and, uh that's very wise. It's an incredibly hard, hard job, you know. Um, and so to anything in the service industry is very challenging. Yep. So. yep. Jacob, you live in that world every day. Mm -hmm. um, hey, Daniel Kelly, tell us, uh, what book are you reading right now? I started, I'm like a the dude who has like three books on Kindle and just slowly plods through them. Um, but I was doing, uh, a little bit of Lord of the Rings cause I never read them and kind of stalled out a little bit. And, uh, and then there's a book, a newer book called compassion and conviction. I think I heard you reference it, Jacob, oh, yeah. um, just talking about how as believers, you know, how do we intersect with the political sphere in a way that's not just along party lines, but ultimately is trying to apply, you know, the teachings in the life of Jesus to, um, you know, our civil society. Yeah. Um, this is a not, um, I'm reading a book called Downsize. Is that what it's called? Downsizing, maybe? Downsizing. She I loves can't. houses and stuff. Yeah. So I'm like really um, into minimal living and um, like small homes. And so we're considering uh, building a smaller home. And I just love uh, solving problems. And so it's fun for me to figure out how can we maximize the space and use it effectively and efficiently, but also make it like beautiful and aesthetically pleasing. And so um, that's one book that I'm reading. And then mostly I am reading reading lots of just research papers and articles um, surrounding our daughter's um, diagnosis and just figuring out next steps for us to take um, 
and what things would just help her thrive and um, live into the little lady that the Lord's created her to be. So that's great. Uh, In addition to the Bible, what is the best book you have ever read? Mm. What's the book series that I have read like three times? I can't remember the name of the Mark of the Lion. Is that it? I think so. It's a Francine Rippers one. Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? I mean, I should know the books, name, but I, so. I just read it, but I don't really ever look at the out, the out, but they are whisper, there's like a whisper in the wind and, uh, there's like three of them. Um, I think, I think it is the, the mark, mark of, of the, the lion. lion. Yeah. It's like the, is it's the like series. historical fiction, yes. which uh, is not really my jam normally, but I, it's like really good. I'm surprised Interesting. in your mind. Yeah. And I, there's a book called pillars of the earth that I've read um, a few times and really have. Yeah. You're reaching over there. Going oh, and I have another one too. <laughs> I also really love um, the John Mark Comer book. Oh, yeah. The uh, Ruthless Elimination the, of Hurry. Yeah. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry has blessed me a ton because I... Um, so we're still working on that. Yeah, we're still working on the that. The application section. Yes. Um, but it's a huge struggle, I feel like, for me. And um, yeah, it has given some good handle holds. Yep. And I'd say anything Tim Keller writes, um, I'm in for it. And uh, he takes what my... John Piper will make my head hurt and I'll quit after three pages. And so Timmy picks that up and dumbs it down for me, but in a way that's still very rich. So whether it's his book on marriage, on suffering, on prayer, on just line them up and they're, they're gold. So go, go get them. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Keller books are amazing. So what's next for Kelly and Daniel Crawford? Yeah, I I mean, we haven't really, um, in kind of the 30-second version, just the trajectory of Able Speaks, you know, we got connected with a dozen families, largely from the DFW area in that first year, as we were just kind of grassroots getting it going. 2019, we saw a jump from 12 to 32 families, and the introduction of families starting to find us from other places, not just other states, um, but other countries, just in the digital age that we're in. And now in 2020, you know, at the midway point, um, you know, we're already up to 36 families um, surpassing our output from from last year. So all that to say, um, you know, that just continuing to think of um, taking the the need that we saw, you know, the vision that the Lord placed in front of us and continuing to just consider, um, you know, how can we put that out there as best as possible? So we love opportunities like this and we love getting to share with um, just other, you know, like-minded, um, brothers and sisters. And, um, and so that's really, you know, looking at the foreseeable future, we're, you know, uh, expectant and excited, um, for not just from serving more and more families, which is the essence and the heart of what we do, but also we hope just, um, getting to share more and more stories that can reach more and more people and, um, shape more and more perspectives around, um, not just life limiting diagnosis, but, you know, suffering in the Christian life and, um, just the redemptive purposes of God and how he is at work, even in the midst of a world that is, um, broken. Yeah. And we, um, have hired two new employees recently. So one to, um, a director of family care and then the other, um, an operation assistant and event planner. Um, and so, that really for 2021 is going to free us up to just have more opportunities to speak, to write, to talk to people like you guys on podcasts and really just share about the 
vision and mission of Able Speaks and um, bring awareness to what we're doing and further partnerships um, with other like-minded organizations and providers and things like that. And so um, we're really excited about what's to come for the ministry in 2021. Um, and then also we personally are um, jumping into a church plant with Watermark in South Dallas. And so that will um, really get going uh, the early part of next year, probably. And so it's something that we feel like is going to really um, challenge us and push us out of our comfort zone and um, be hopefully a sweet church home for us um, to be able to serve in and be a part of. So, yep. And so we have effectively brought your rapid fire questions to a, to a simmer <laughs> yeah. and you have our blessing to cut any of that that yeah. you need to. No, they, we're, we're going to keep it all uh, for sure. Well, thank y'all too uh, for being here today, uh, sharing your story. Um, I know it's impacted me and I, and I have no doubt that it's going to impact our listeners as well. So thanks for being here today. Yeah, it's our, yeah. our privilege. It was fun to hear from you and a total joy to, to connect with you in this way. Yes. Um, well, to our to our listeners, please check out uh, Able Speaks in our show notes. Uh, we're going to have links to all of their sites there. Uh, and if you know someone that needs to hear this episode, please uh, share this with them and tell them that there is hope out there uh, because of groups like Able Speaks. And a special note to our listeners, Jacob and his wife, Melissa, recently appeared on Daniel and Kelly's podcast telling more about their special son and our grandson, Pierce, and their journey over the last three years. This podcast is called Life Upside Down with Abel Speaks. Melissa and Jacob's interview resulted in a two-part podcast, and we'll add links to both of those episodes in the show notes below. I cannot recommend enough that you listen to these, as I know you will be truly blessed. Hey, thanks for listening today, and make sure you do subscribe and follow along. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Until then, keep chasing what matters.